Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. Welcome to this, our latest podcast. And uh, all those on vlog, who are watching on vlog, just to let you know, we're doing a back-to-back recordings because of holidays and people going away. It's not that I have hygiene problems. Um, <laughs> what Doctors Don't Tell You has been going since 1989. It's a magazine. It's a website, wddty.com. Do look us up if you haven't already. There's a free gift for all of you who um, leave us their email details at wddty.com forward slash giveaway. So look that up and um, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch that way. Anyway, let's push on. First news item of the day. It's a dirty old world. And um, as if that's any surprise, probably that's not news really, is it? Um, but the latest um, version of Dirty Old World part 9,427, concerns the America's Environmental Protection Agency, which is uh, sitting on a crucial report that has demonstrated that formaldehyde, which is uh, found in a lot of building materials, from plywood to foam insulation, um, seems to be linked to uh, leukaemia. Now, the reason why it's sitting on the report is because of incredible pressure from the American Chemistry Council which, for very obvious reasons, doesn't want the report published. And um, this is not the first time this has happened. Um, the EPA wanted to publish a report, a similar report, several years back, but were told to get more evidence, to get more science, uh, which apparently they did. Uh, but still they are, you know, bowing to the pressures of this giant lobby group which is preventing this from uh, being published. And it seems the EPA, EPA does have form because uh, previously another study that they did into the, the, um, sort of the health of public water supplies, um, which were being contaminated with chemicals, was also similarly suppressed. So I don't know. What do you, what do you reckon, Lynn? Well, this isn't surprising to me. I think that many of the American agencies these days aren't really protecting the public. And also, we have an uh, Environmental Protection Agency um, you know, secretary who, in government who isn't convinced about a lot of areas of environmental danger. So it's, it's actually coming from the top now. Uh, but the problem is the insidious involvement of industry in all of these agencies. It's hard to trust these kinds of reports that come out saying there's no risk anymore from the Centers for Disease Control, from the Food and Drug Administration, from the Environmental Protection Agency, because they are in bed with industry. They are oftentimes peopled with, you know, the people on their staff are ex-industry people. So there's all kinds of connections, and in many cases, they are paid for by industry. Mm. You know, Congress has systematically lowered the funding for a lot of these agencies so that the industry itself will pick up the tab, and guess what? As a result, they have influence. So it's, you know, it's up to us now Consumers, the fake news that we, we always hear about is actually coming from agencies like this. And it's up to organizations like What Doctors Don't Tell You and campaigners like, you know, famous campaigners like Aaron Brockovich, who exposed 
um, some water contamination that's not unlike this study that they're saying from chemicals used in the manufacture of things. The one the EPA suppressed, Brian, was all about, you know, it was chemicals used in Teflon and some other firefighting agents had found their way into the water supply. Well, this stuff is really toxic. And nevertheless, it was sat on. So it's really important that you get your information from somewhere other than a government agency these days. Well, I think it's also down to the the lobby system, which started to distort the whole democratic process back in the 70s. I mean, I think it started really under Reagan, where the lobby groups had more power, certainly than the voters, and also more power than Congress and, in this country, in the UK, Parliament. Um, And decisions are distorted and changed according to the highest bidder. And, you know, when it comes to our health and well-being, you know, I think, personally, that's a lobby too far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a very dirty system now. And it is, we've seen it in so many different industries, that the person with the deepest pockets is the one that gets the laws passed. Mm. And um, as I say, it's up to us now to provide. And for the fourth estate, this is where actually the news organizations that are independent, like what doctors don't tell you, their reports on this are more important than ever. Mm. Okay, thanks, Nan. Well, I think that uh, we've been banging on about gut health, probiotics for, you know, the last 10 years or so. We're sort of realising the role that the gut plays in all sorts of health issues. Needless to say, the Indian people um, um, have discovered this about 500 to 1,000 years ago through their Ayurvedic medical system. And um, they have been regularly prescribing a herbal supplement called Trifala for the longest time, which helps to uh, populate the gut with good bacteria. And um, Western researchers have just cottoned onto this, and they did a study of it and found that you will increase your longevity by taking this particular supplement. And, um, I mean, it must be said, to be fair, (laughs) <laughs> that at the moment, this study, the research is, is um, restricted to fruit flies. So I suppose you could argue that unless you are a fruit fly... By the way, I should say, we do have a lot of fruit flies who do listen. <laughs> but um, And we should say that fruit flies are used all the time in the yeah, laboratory yeah. Um, because they're kind of the prom queen of the um, animal lab world. Right, um, yeah. Because they have a... They have a very short lifespan. So a researcher can study the whole thing from Uh, birth to death in a very short uh, time. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that it always automatically applies to humans. No. But what is interesting about the fruit fly is that they are biochemically quite similar to us, Mm. although more intelligent. <laughs> no and, doubt. And um, they are, but with this study, they were finding the fruit flies living 60% longer. And they said, well, we wouldn't expect to see exactly the same response as a human, because that means you'll be alive at about 140. But it does mean that it could well in- increase your longevity, which, as I say, you know, would be no great surprise to the Indians, because that's what they've known for 
hundreds of years. And uh, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that, um, you know, we, we was with, with the Western medicine, the fact you've got traditional Chinese medicine, got Ayurvedic medicine, and no doubt other uh, traditional medicines going on and have done for hundreds, if not thousands of years, which we utterly ignore. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I mean, um, again, it's down to things that conventional medicine doesn't understand. Hmm. Now, Ayurvedic um, medicine should be something that they could accept because it's based on herbs in, in lots of ways, although they have a different system of prescribing herbs. It's not analogous to conventional medicine. But yes, doctors uh, are starting to accept some aspects of acupuncture, but only when it's kind of treated a little mm. bit like uh, Western medicine. Mm. Uh, what they have a hard time with is the idea of you know, meridians and the kinds of paradigms that are behind this very different approach. Hmm. And that's really where they need to prick up their ears because um, many of these systems have a far better track record than hmm. Western medicine hmm. and damage millions fewer. Now, I'm going to try something very bold here and tell you what the formulation of Trifala is. <laughs> it's made from Amalaka, Bibitaki, and Haritaki, <laughs> um, so which are three uh, fruits found, uh, medicinal plants found in Ayurvedic medicine. So if you want to live longer, that's what you need to be taking. Absolutely. Short-sightedness is a problem that many suffer from, and yes, dear listener, I'm one of them. <laughs> Known also as myopia, it's a, a problem that affects many, many people, most people, really. And they say, oh, it's down to, you know, working too too much, uh, too much reading. That's why they always say, well, smart people wear glasses because they, they, they're reading all the time. Um, and it's close-up work. It's always been blamed for, for myopia. But uh, a new study suggests, well, actually, it's none of those things at all. It's actually a lack of sunlight. So yes, you are indoors uh, reading your book, possibly, but the real point is you're not out, not outside, and that is actually causing the myopia, uh, which is very interesting. And I think you say, well, how do we know this? Well, we know it just from looking at populations in Southeast Asia, where we've seen an epidemic of myopia in the last uh, ten years. It also coincides with a, a, a major move to getting kids educated and in schools. And the, and the corresponding effect is that means they're not outside, they're inside, they're in classrooms. And as a result of that, myopia levels amongst kids has risen enormously just in the last 10 years, so much so that it's become a social problem. So it's not really surprising that, um, therefore, that would be the, the problem we're seeing in, in the West as well. And as, what, as I say, whilst we blame it on book reading, on using the smartphone, on all the watching telly, it's actually because we are not getting sunlight on our eyes. That's such an interesting study, Brian, because mm. it has so many implications. Mm. You know, where is vitamin D? being processed how does it do we need to have it come in through our eyes is that why it's so important um vitamin d is you know not just a vitamin it's a it's actually a hormone and it's so necessary for everything we're finding out more and more that it's a great treatment for all manner of illnesses 
And so maybe vitamin D, you know, originates through the sunlight we get through our eyes, but it's also involved in just the process of seeing. And the idea that I, the eye really needs light, it needs mm. light to function. You know, after all, before the advent of artificial light, you know, we needed light during the day, and then we went to bed early as soon as the light was off, mm. essentially. Mm. So there's, and we know that's really important, essential to our circadian rhythms. So it's really fascinating to see that this is so important with, with the eye mm. and not surprising. And it just goes with so much else that when you think about it, people are so light phobic now. They're sunlight phobic. Um, we're told to slap on all kinds of sun creams, um, which will prevent us from getting natural vitamin D. We're told to wear sunglasses all the time. As soon as there's any kind of light, we've got, we're slapping on sunglasses. And that, again, is preventing the light from coming into our eyes, the necessary light mm. coming into our eyes. Yeah. Well, biologically, what's going on, apparently, is that um, the eye will adapt to poor light. Mm -hmm. And when it does that, it becomes more elongated, um, which, of course, the problem is... Um, it, it makes it difficult for the, for the retina to, to directly focus. And so, therefore, the longer the, um, the, um, the eye becomes, so the object you're looking at becomes blurry, more blurry, because it's not meeting the, the light, isn't hitting the retina properly. And that's mm. causing the problem. And it's quite interesting. I don't know if anyone's ever studied this, but I'm wondering if, well, we know glasses wearing has increased dramatically in the last you know, 100 years or so, I suppose that's true, where certainly with the industrialization and away from agrarian societies. I mean, you know, we, we can't prove that because there's no way no one's ever bothered measuring it before. But it, mm. it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. And it, you know, it really demonstrates too, they, while computers are a wondrous thing, you know, oftentimes that's the light we're looking at. Mm. You know, we're staring at computer light. And certainly there have been some associations between staring at computers and problems with sight mm. and sight deteriorating. And that probably has something to do with light too. And the, uh, a lack of the right light coming through. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Lynn. Well, everyone seems to be taking a statin drug these days for lowering cholesterol. And if you're not taking the scatting, statin drug, sorry, you're also you're taking a blood pressure drug. There are so many different drugs uh, around now for preventing or you know, uh, heart disease. Um, but a new study has discovered that in most cases, people are taking it at a potency that's far too high and is actually life-threatening. And uh, how on earth did this come about? Well, it happened because the dosages, when they were prepared, was based on data of people at a time when they weren't doing a lot of these healthy things. So this was years old, this data, and uh, taken from the 1940s, in fact, wow. when diets were bad and all the rest, and we weren't that aware of what was causing heart disease. And so the um, dosages were based upon that population cohort, as they call it, when in fact we are healthier than that, but still taking that same dose. And um, so researchers at Stanford School of Medicine reckon that at least 11 million people in the US alone are taken an incorrect and too high dose 
of heart medication. And that's dramatically increasing risk of adverse reactions, again, up to and including death itself. And, um, you know, just no one, it doesn't seem to have occurred to anybody to take another look at this, to look at the dosage and say, well, do we need to recalibrate based upon, you know, the, 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 the health of people today? I think that's very typical, Brian, of mm. heart drugs. You know, first of all, these drugs aren't really working. You know, mm. um, drugs for uh, lowering blood pressure have all kinds of issues. It really has to do with, you know, what is really healthy blood pressure. Mm. Statins that have, are being discredited because that whole foundation of first statins is being discredited. The mm. idea that, you know, cholesterol causes heart disease mm. and that lowering, lowering cholesterol is good for you. And then we've got all of the other kinds of drugs given for everything from angina to heart failure, to et cetera. And the big problem is that they've never really studied what happens with polypharmacy in these heart drugs. So they've only assumed if one drug is okay and or good, then two drugs are twice as good or many times more. So they'll oftentimes give um, a beta blocker with a calcium, a calcium channel blocker and not really know how the two are interacting. And they'll, they'll work on assumptions that one does one thing and the other thing does the other thing and therefore it's good when it's not. And there's so many studies demonstrating that these things have real adverse reactions. Yeah. So it's not just the single drugs that are too high, but the complex yeah. mix of them that yeah. can be really lethal. Yeah, and it's interesting that they, the, the Stanford researchers found that um, leaving aside uh, drugs, that just lifestyle changes has reduced the risk for heart attack and stroke by 20% since the 1940s. And yeah, and, and yet, as I say, the dosages are based upon that, uh, that old cohort and on our grandparents, really, and how they would have lived. Absolutely. And, you know, What Doctors Don't Tell You does so many stories about heart and how to treat the heart. And we actually did a book um, on heart disease that demonstrates that there are so many ways to treat every kind of heart condition that don't involve drugs. Even if you've already had a heart attack, mm. um, there, are, there are ways to, there are really healthy ways to deal with it with diet supplements and a variety of other things, certain kinds of exercise that really can maximize your chances of getting well without any kind of drugs. Okay, keeping on the drugs theme, Uh, a new study has just come out that has uh, demonstrated that one in three prescription drugs that people are taking every day can cause depression and increase the risk of suicide. And yet no one knows about the dangers because it's not on the, um, on the, on the patient sheets they get. Doctors aren't, don't seem to be told about it. And yet the risk is there. Um, it's, it affects more than 200 of the most commonly prescribed drugs ranging from heart medication, painkillers, and even indigestion pills, and um, which uh, have depression and suicidal ideation or thoughts as side effects. So, you know, and the trouble is because no one realizes this. People who are happily taking these drugs may suddenly become depressed or worse, suicidal, and never for a minute suspect 
that the drug is the problem. They'll go spend their life ferreting around looking for the reason why they're suddenly depressed or want to end their lives. And yet it's this simple remedy that they're taking every day and um, just no one knows it. And it's just absolutely shocking that, again, it seems to demonstrate to me an enormous hole in drug research that these um, side effects, adverse reactions, call them what you will, are happening. And nobody's been recording it. No. No, Brian. And it is it is really shocking um, because even the drugs that have been identified as increasing risk of suicide Maybe there may be drug warnings about them in in the medical literature or the drugs bibles like the physician's desk reference or the data sheet mm. compendium in the UK, but doctors aren't reading that. I mean, I was horrified to hear that a friend of ours, his daughter, who's when she was a teenager until recently, has had four courses of Roaccutane for acne. Now, Roaccutane is well known to increase the risk of suicide among children, so much so that the Food and Drug Administration has actually issued warnings. And I think the drug mm. is now off the market, yeah, right, in the is. States? Yeah. So it's not off the market here in the UK where we are. And yet doctors haven't kept up with that. There's no way they do keep up with that. And that is the real worry, um, is that even the correctly prescribed drugs um, they're not looking at the fine print to mm. see what these drugs cause. Mm. But it also really points to something bigger, which is if there's all these other drugs, proton pump inhibitors, which are for, you know, for, um, for the gut, um, and uh, all kinds of things like that, um, that cause all kinds of issues like this, we have to ask, you know, what do these drugs do? And the bottom line is, that you can't ever think of a drug having an effect in isolation. Drugs don't have a single, single linear effect because the body isn't a single linear being. So in other words, they think that a drug will have tab A or slotting into slot B. And that's the way they think a drug's going to work. But it doesn't. It goes into slot B, C, D, F, G, all over the body and has all of these untoward effects. And that's really what we have to take on board with prescription drugs mm. is that they can have a, everything's connected so mm. they can have an effect anywhere. And it's interesting you say prescription drugs and it is mainly that. But um, these the researchers found that it, the same applied to over-the-counter remedies, the things you can buy at your local pharmacy without a prescription Common painkillers, indigestion aids, they all can increase the risk of depression and suicide. And, and uh, the researchers found that, you know, it's not just feeling a bit down, a bit blue. I mean, this is uh, cases where people end up with a, a clinical diagnosis of depression. And guess what? It triggers an antidepressant More prescription. Yeah. And um, this problem is, we're seeing these 200 drugs that have been identified, prescribing of them has increased by 3% in recent years. So more and more people are taking them, totally unaware that they could be causing depression and, or suicide. And, you know, to be fair, the doctor doesn't know it either. No one's talking about this. No one's researching this. No one's telling anyone about this. And yet it could be, you know, one of the hidden causes of these problems. 
and it, it is quite extraordinary. And um, um, they, this is you know quite major research. They looked at twenty six thousand people who were taking one of these drugs and found enormous problem with it. So you know, again, you know, no one's stepping up here and taking responsibility for this. Which means that you have to, you have to control your own health, do your own reading, do your own checking into things, and that's what we're here for. Mm. And I think you know, even in this case, I mean, they wouldn't have known that even if they had done the research because no one's researched it. This is the problem, and. Um, you know, I think the thing is to, you know, always look for, a, a you know, a, a another way of treating a problem. Don't just look as a drug as, as the magic bullet that's going to do this for you. Because, you know, it, it, it really is a case there's no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to drugs. Absolutely. Wayne Dyer, the great, late great Wayne Dyer, once said there's a spiritual solution to every problem. Mm -hmm. And I always think of it as there's an alternative medicine mm. solution to every mm. problem. Mm. Well, we have to spirit ourselves away now, and thanks for listening. I'm uh, Brian Hubbard. And uh, I'm Lynn McTaggart. And check us out at wddty.com. And if you want your free gift, it's uh, forward slash giveaway. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up next time. <laughs>